Good morning, listeners, and I hope today finds you well. My name is Wilson McCoy with the College Hills Church of Christ here in Lebanon, Tennessee, and I want to wish you a happy new year. I hope you are doing well and are having a great start to this new year. We would love for you in this new year to make it a point and a priority to come and join us at some point at College Hills, where we would love to have you as a guest when and if you can make it. If you would like to find out a little bit more about us in the meantime, the best way to do that is to go to collegehills.org, where you can find out a little bit more about our congregation, our meeting times, and some of the opportunities of ministry that you can join us and get involved in if and when you are able to do that. Also know that this weekly radio broadcast is offered in the form of a podcast each week. And for those of you who listen in on weekly podcasts, you can simply go to your local iTunes account or wherever you listen to podcasts and simply search for College Hills Church, and you can there subscribe to our weekly podcast, which will provide you not just this radio sermon, but also the pulpit sermon for each week. Again, just a few of the many opportunities that we're trying to offer you in order to enrich and encourage your faith during this season in which we find ourselves. Today we're going to be looking at a passage that connects with our Christmas series, but also sets us up for the new year, and we're going to be looking at John chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and without Him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in Him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. Dear God, thank you for this new day, for this new week, this new year. And as we look into 2021, I pray that you would fill us with hope, that you would fill us with light, and that you would fill us more with your Spirit to guide us through this new year in faithful ways. And I pray this morning that you would give me the gift of preaching and teaching, and that I would share this text in a way that is faithful to who you are and to who you're calling us to be. I pray that you would speak to us this morning, and that by your voice and your Spirit's power, you would Transform us more into the image of your Son, Jesus, and it's in His name that we pray. Amen. Back in 2016, Jessica and I, my wife and I, took a trip for a few days to celebrate my completion of graduate school. We wanted a few quiet days to remove ourselves and get a little rest after what had been a very long three-year journey of graduate school. And so we decided to go north to Chicago, not realizing that when we booked the trip, 
it was also St. Patrick's Day weekend. Now, thankfully, we had planned a day trip to a quiet spot on the other side of the city to go to this one-day book release event for a favorite author. And so we we stayed away from a lot of the festivities of St. Patrick's Day in downtown Chicago, but we did see the Green River. And we were fortunate to have this one-day event on a quieter side of town because we liked this author and we were excited about this new book and we were excited to hear about some ideas that he was going to be sharing from that book. Early in the day on that one-day event, the author shared with us and was quick to point out that very rarely did he produce any new ideas. Rather, as he wrote his books, he talked about how he gleaned wisdom from those before him. And one of the main ideas from his book that he talked about that day was summed up and is summed up in one single sentence, and it's this. You will find what you are looking for. You will find what you are looking for. He wanted those attending the conference to know one of the most impactful spiritual truths passed on to him by his heroes of faith. And it was that sentence, that statement of spiritual truth, you will find what you are looking for. This one sentence has stayed close to me over the last several years since I first heard it because I have found it increasingly true about life and faith. What people look for is most often what they will find. For example, if we walk through the world with eyes of hope, then we will more likely see things that give us hope. However, If we walk through the world with eyes of cynicism and despair and suspicion, then we will likely see things that cause us to be negative and grumpy. And the reason why this author called the statement a spiritual truth is because as we walk through the world, as men and women of faith, we get a choice about how we will see things and what we will see. What it means to be a person of faith means to make intentional choices about what we are going to look for. And this truth gets at the heart of our passage today at the beginning of John's gospel. Because one of the main reasons why John writes his gospel is to help us see in a certain way. John wants us to see the entrance of Jesus into the world in a certain way, a creation way. Now, this word gospel is a word that means good news. And this good news is ultimately news about Jesus Christ. The person of Jesus is so important and has been so important to the people of faith that that those early Christians chose to include four different accounts of the life of Jesus Christ, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And if you know anything about the Gospels, then you know that John is a bit different of a Gospel. And this is especially true in the way he starts his Gospel. 
Because while the other Gospels start with a genealogy of names, like in Matthew, with John the Baptist, like in Mark, and with a birth story, like in Luke, John, John does something different. John starts his Gospel with a poem. And what's significant about the fact that he starts his book with a poem is that he is not the first writer in the Bible to start his book this way. In fact, if you go back to the very first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, then you will find that Genesis also starts with a poem. And more to the point, John chooses to start his book with the same opening words as Genesis. In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning when God created the heavens and the earth. John starts his gospel of Jesus Christ in the very same way as the first book of the Bible. Because John wants us to see the entrance of Jesus through the lens of Genesis, through the lens of creation. John wants us to see the entrance of Jesus into the world as an act of new creation by God. But what is critical about the opening of John is not just that he wants us to see the importance of the entrance of Jesus, but he also wants us to see the implications of the entrance of Jesus. John wants us to see the implications of Jesus as the one who comes to bring light into the world. Light is a visible, physical reality that we often associate with the birth of Jesus. We think about the stars shining in the night sky, guiding the shepherds to the manger. We think of a heavenly host of angels glowing bright in the sky as they sing praises to God. And in all of these ways, they're related to the birth. Light is a visible, physical reality. But, like we just said, John is a different kind of gospel. And so when John uses a word like light... We need to recognize that there's more going on than just a reference to some physical object. The word light for John is a much more rich and textured word. This is why Jesus will later in his gospel describe his ministry and his very identity in terms of light when he says, I am the light of the world. And that usage should help us to see that light for John is about a deeper reality, a deeper state of being, and a deeper kind of life. This is why John will describe the entrance of Jesus into the world as a moment of light and life. John cannot talk about light without talking about life. He cannot talk about life without talking about light. Because light is a deeper reality. It's a deeper state of being. It's a deeper kind of life. But this deeper meaning for the word light also holds true for a word like darkness. Darkness for John is never just about a physical reality, an absence or extinguishing of light as we would think about it. 
Darkness is, is about a state of being, a reality that is disconnected from the light and life of Jesus. So, for example, two chapters later in John, when Nicodemus shows up to Jesus in the darkness of night, John is saying a lot more than just it's dark outside. He's also trying to give us insight into the state of being and reality Nicodemus is in when he comes to Jesus. But darkness also has a more ominous tone for John. Because darkness is a term used to describe not only that which is disconnected from Jesus, but that it's also opposed to Jesus. Another way to say it is this. If light is fundamentally about an act of creation in Jesus, then darkness is fundamentally an act of uncreation opposed to Jesus. Darkness is this kind of catch-all term used to describe anything that goes in the opposite direction of the creative, life-giving, hopeful, new possibilities of God in Jesus. And the reason I mention darkness along with light is because if we're going to talk about the reality of light and life in Jesus, then we also need to talk about the reality of darkness in our world. We have to be willing to talk about light and dark because John is willing to talk about both of them. But we need to pay close attention to how John talks about these two realities. In our passage today, John uses the word light a total of six times. But he only uses the word darkness two times. He references the light and life of God six times and darkness only twice. And the two times he references darkness happen in one verse. Verse 5, he says this, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. Or to use another translation, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then finally, one other translation, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. Light is in the present tense. It's active, continuous, current. The light shines and is shining. Darkness is past tense, did not, has not, and can never overcome or extinguish the light of God. John wants us to see the importance of Jesus entering the world. It is this creative act of God. And he wants us to see the implications of the entrance of the life and light of Jesus coming into the world. The light has won, is winning, and will win. Light is shining, and it cannot be defeated. And this is a truth that we, the people of faith, desperately need to see in our world today. Because it's a truth that is getting increasingly difficult to see and hold on to and embrace as Christians. Far too many of us have have the point of John backwards. We think the darkness is winning. If you listen to Christians talk, it sounds often like 
we think that the darkness is winning. For too many of us, we have our perspective backwards. We look out and all we see is darkness. Now, I'll be the first to admit that darkness is a present reality that we face, and it often feels like it is a lot easier for us to see. And we now live in a world where that darkness can easily overwhelm us. Recently, I was listening to a podcast interview with a leader who is involved in leading young men and women in our world today. And I was struck as he reflected on one of the unique challenges young people face today that generations before them never faced. He noted that once upon a time, when something tragic or awful would happen in the world, the event would end, and then we would get a news story about it the next day or several days later. There was some distance between tragedy and our reality. But now, we have these technological advances where we can get live updates on tragic and awful events all of the time in real time. And there's a lot of good that can happen by these advances. But the point that he made is that it is not just that we can get updates in real time about dark events that lurk in our world, but now we can get these updates all of the time, all over the world. He lightheartedly said in the interview that because of this new world in which we live, that that many young men and women are simply trying to figure out how to have a good day and not feel guilty about it. Because if you know that somewhere out there in the world, someone is having some awful tragic event in their life, then it's often difficult to have a good day and not feel guilty. But this leader went on to say something important, that this challenge and this issue is not limited to just one generation, but to all generations. More and more of us have the ability and advances to be fully tuned into darkness all of the time. It seems like all of the headlines we read have darkness embedded in them somewhere. And so we can get over-focused on it. Then we can get overwhelmed by it. And then we obsess about it. We end up anxious and fearful by the perception that darkness is all around and that it is winning. And if you know anything about fear and anxiety, you know how it will narrow your vision So before we know it, we find exactly what we're looking for. And all we see is darkness. And the reason this matters for disciples of Jesus, for you and me, is because when we have that perspective where we only see darkness, then we miss the purpose of our lives and the point John is trying to make with the opening of his gospel and his whole gospel of Jesus Christ. John's gospel is trying to point us to a different truth about the world because of Jesus. John wants us to see that entrance of Jesus into the world as an entrance of light and life for all. John wants us to see the light of Jesus shines and darkness did not. 
has not, and will not win. This is why John the Gospel writer can so seamlessly start talking about John the Baptist. Because what John is trying to do with his whole gospel, John the Baptist does with his one life. John the Baptist comes along and serves as a witness. He comes to give testimony to the light. He comes simply to point to the light of Jesus. He gives witness to the light he has seen and heard and experienced. John is not the point. He is simply intended to point to the light of Jesus. And it's John the Baptist that gives us insight into our purposes as disciples. We are to be witnesses. The church is called to the same purpose as John. We come simply to point to the light of Jesus. We give witness to the light that we have seen and heard and experienced. We are witnesses. But what is critical about being a witness is simply this. You cannot give witness to something you have never witnessed. You cannot point to something that you are not even looking for. And so, when we get over-focused on, overwhelmed by, and obsessed with darkness, then you and I miss the point of John's gospel. You miss the purpose of John the Baptist, and we miss the purpose of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus in our world today. Because because we are called to be witnesses to the light. Our purpose as disciples is to look for the light, seek for the light, and point to the light as we experience it. You will find what you're looking for. Every December growing up, my family had a tradition on Sunday nights. On the Sunday night before Christmas, we would get into our car and we would go look at Christmas lights all over town. Evening church would end. We would load up in the car and drive out into the dark night. And I still remember each year the excitement and adventure of this tradition. I never knew which turns my dad would take. I never knew which neighborhoods we would end up in that given year. I still remember weaving along old curvy roads in the dark. And then we would crest a hill or turn a corner. And in the distance, we would see the warm glow of a house We would see some houses trimmed in white lights glowing in the distance. Some houses with bright, multicolor bulbs. And then, there were always those houses with the the nativity mashup of Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus in a manger surrounded by Santa Claus and Mickey Mouse worshiping him. But even if the house didn't get the story quite right with their decorations, it was okay. Because we were not out there to critique the lights. We were simply trying to look for the light and point. Now, imagine for a second 
how different of a childhood memory this would be if, if every year our family had gotten into the car, put on our seatbelts, and then my dad would turn to our family and say, okay, family, let's go out there and find some darkness. We would turn on some sad songs or maybe just play some static on the radio. We would eat cold sandwiches and just go out there looking for darkness. And if anyone in the car decided to speak up and point to the light, then the rest of the car would turn and scold them and remind them, yes, but look at all that darkness. Because there would have been plenty of darkness. If that would have been my memory, we may have gotten so obsessed with the darkness that we would have just ended up driving to sit in a dark cul-de-sac in some developing neighborhood and just sit in the darkness and saying to each other, well, this proves it. There's only darkness out here tonight. That would have made (laughs) for a very different and miserable childhood and a pretty terrible purpose for our family. And the same holds true for Christians who move through life in the same way today. But that is not how the night would go, thankfully. Instead, no matter the strength of the glow, whenever we would see lights, we would do the very same thing. We would feel the thrill of seeing lights, and then we would point and say, look, there's light over there. I See light. Look there. There are lights over there. Go that way. We would look and point and go and stare at the marvel of the lights in front of us. Because our purpose was to go look for the light that we knew was out there shining in the dark. It was an adventure. We had purpose. We did it together in the light. The light was always there for us to see. The church, you and me and us together, are called to the same kind of life. We are called as a community of faith to move out into the world, twisting and turning on this adventure with God, looking for and pointing to the light where we see it. We do not deny that there's darkness because there is, but we also hold firm to the conviction that darkness is not final. We are called to move through the world looking, pointing, and naming light wherever we see it. And so what better purpose for us to be reminded of than at the beginning of this new year? As we end one year that for so many had a lot of darkness in it. But as we move into this new year, I hope that we will be reminded of our true purpose. To look for the light. To point to the light. To seek out the light. Yes, to be honest about the darkness to not pretend like the darkness is not there because it is. 
and we should grieve that, and we should be very honest about that. However, we can also trust these words of John as a truth for us to hold on to this year. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. Amen.